0: a documentary that ran on television some years ago, and it was detailing, uh, basically it was sharing the story of of a couple of of African elephants in uh, in South Africa where they were in this region, and and these young bulls, they were turning over cars, they were pushing down trees, and, and they couldn't understand why, and so they brought in a park ranger to study the young bulls in the area and try to figure out why were these bulls acting in this way, and and what he found was either because of famine, you know, lack of food, or, or because of poaching, all of the older bulls in that area had been killed. They weren't there. And so these young bulls were kind of on their own to kind of do life as they wanted, and unfortunately, they were not displaying their power well. So the solution was for this park rangers, they actually flew in some older bulls and put them in that region, and what they found within a couple of weeks is those young bulls figured out what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to live as elephants. Isn't that interesting? Wow. So even in, the, in the, the animal world, there's a value for eldership. There's a value there. And, and, and I mentioned that this morning because as we talk about Father's Day today, I, I was thinking about the culture in which we currently live. And if I really do an honest assessment, I don't know that our culture is a real healthy one for boys or men. And although not the only reason, for surely one of the reasons is, is what I see is we're no longer a culture of elders where we pass on wisdom, identity, and boundaries for the next generation. We've kind of lost that in a lot of ways. I'm so thankful for some of the elders in this church. I think about the Leon Troyers and, and Mick Daltons and others who, who serve this body well in that way as spiritual fathers, and we have spiritual mothers too. It's so important. It's so vital. But if we look at society, and really as we look across a lot of church congregations, we're largely an uninitiated culture that admires the values of youth and not the values of maturity. But here's what's interesting. That's not just this generation. That's actually been taking place for lots of generations now. That even our, our, our current generation or those who are advanced in years. When they were younger, they too were looked at as a value of youth over maturity. So that's been going on for some time. It's been a pattern... For many generations. And because of this, what happens is, is when there's a value for youth over maturity, oftentimes as we age, where we should become becoming elders, we actually just become elderly. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. As we age and progress through life, we actually all, and I'm talking about in the spiritual sense, are meant to become spiritual fathers and mothers and elders. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we don't spend, I will say this, a lot of time with Jesus because he's our ultimate, ultimate mentor. As we spend time with him, he mentors us into and, and the life that we're called in the kingdom so that we can lead others, too. What we find in culture today is a lot of men, they're over-mothered and underfathered. Studies have shown we're in a large part of society without fathers, and the effects of this are lifelong for both genders. What happens is, is we create boys who never grow up, and they want to marry mothers instead of wives. We find girls who want securing and affirming daddies instead of risk-taking partners. So what winds up happening is neither gender is ready for the work and adventure of a full life. Look, I want to tell you this morning, fathers are so important. Fathers are so important. The current older generation of men in the U.S. has to a great extent, they've really not been mentored by their own fathers. That's why I was saying this cycle's been taking place for some generations now. So we're starting at zero in a lot of cases, and this is difficult since oftentimes you can only pass on that which you yourself know. The patterns of failure, here's some startling statistics. The failure among young men is frightening. Over 94% of all inmates are male. Not only do men live an average of seven years less than women, they suffer far more than their female counterparts from ulcers and other stress-related diseases. Men are more likely than women to die sooner from each of the 15 leading causes of death. Over 80% of all suicides are men. In the 20 to 24 age range, males commit suicide almost six times as, as often as females. When men are over 85, they are over 14 times as likely to commit suicide as women of the same age. I share all of this with us this morning because I want us to understand men are hurting today. If we're really honest, if men are really honest with themselves, and I probably get to see that more than most because of the position I'm in as a pastor. So on a day when we celebrate fathers, on Father's Day, what I'd like to do is take a step back and just recognize that. And let's talk about that today. But let's also talk about that knowing we serve a God who can meet us wherever we're at. That's always the good news of the gospel, that he comes in and addresses those things in our life which need address. That although these might be our statistics, they don't have to be our statistics right? Because we have a God that can change and reshape us. So we're going to continue our Better Together series today with a message on Jesus and men. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 10 this morning, and I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I simply want to highlight these words of Jesus to us today. I'm going to Read them this uh, at the beginning. I'm actually going to circle back to them in the, in the last point this morning. And here's what Jesus says, or what Luke writes and then Jesus talks. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one uh, truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and said, blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. I'm sure you're wondering, like, well, that's an interesting passage, <laughs> but I want to shed some light on it this morning as we near the end. So we've been in this Better Together series with an understanding that the way that we get through a crisis is together, the way that we reach the world is together. Together is important. And so we've talked about Jesus and women, we've talked about Jesus and marriage, so it made a lot of sense to talk about Jesus and men, right? We want to talk about that too. But I will say this message, just like the the one, these others that I mentioned, this message, of course, is for all of us today. It's about how we live healthy and whole lives. But I do want to direct some comments to to guys today in particular. And I want to tell you up front, I'm going to talk about some of the challenges that we all face so that we can better appreciate the solution that God gives. So my encouragement is, don't leave after point two. You'll be severely disappointed. (laughs) Hang with me all the way through the conversation. Because there's always good news that we end with. One of my preaching professors in seminary, she said, always end with good news. I think that's a good admonition, right? So hang out for the good news today. And the first thing we find is this, though. We become healthy and whole by dealing with our sin wound. We become healthy and whole as we we are honest with and deal with the sin wound we all have. That we were all born with a tragic flaw. We all suffer from the same issue. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we all have this God-shaped hole that needs filling, all of us. We all have experienced a physical birth, or guess what? You wouldn't be here this morning, but we are all in need of a spiritual rebirth. Pastor Jim, I was listening to his message from last week, and he mentioned being born again, like that's an old phrase, but that's what Jesus says. We are born again. We have this spiritual rebirth, and all of us need to experience that. And so we shouldn't be shocked or even surprised at this tragic flaw in all of us. It's like sometimes we are for whatever reason. And I would say this, we don't need to waste time blaming anybody, including ourselves or our family. That's that's really not the point. Because assigning blames, it's not the point. Healing is. Healing is the point. And we can't heal something until we recognize it's there. That's why I want to start there today. For many of us, pain may have been passed on to us through our families, wounds and hurts, just as it was passed on to them. That can happen. But the good news is we've been invited to be baptized, born again into a new family, the family of God. Yeah. No matter what family you've come from, you have a bigger and greater invitation, yeah. a more important family. I was thinking about this for, for our kids. More important than my kids are a part of the Maddox family. It's so much more important they're initiated into the family of God. So much more important. Because our small families, those families that we were born into, they don't have the final word on our lives. They don't ultimately define who we are. God does. And I'm so glad for that. More important than the family that you were born into and the potential that you have, it's so much bigger, so much grander because of the family of God that you have the inv- been invited to be a part of. And I was thinking about it, but not everybody's accepted an invitation. My hope is today you do. You and I are bigger In the tragic flaw that we were born with because of the invitation God has given us to join His kingdom family. And this is important because if our original wound is not healed, then men deal with the brokenness of their own fathers, and women face their mothers' unresolved issues. It is so important we go to God to get that wound healed. So important. Problems and pain become inherited, which can result in inner heaviness instead of an inner freedom like Jesus offers us. So in other words, we all bear this common pain of being human. And this common pain does not need our hatred, it needs our healing. This common pain doesn't deserve punishment, it deserves tears. And it's not worked through, and I think we kind of miss that sometimes, it's really not worked through so much as it's washed away as we're baptized into the family of God as we situate ourselves into the bigger kingdom picture unfolding all around us. That's how we deal with it. Jesus wants us to be baptized and experience new birth so that we can experience victory over sin, death, and the devil. That's what he wants. And the way that we know if we've been initiated into this life, the way that we can know that our sin wound has been dealt with is that we're no longer surprised or shocked at human brokenness. We're not shocked by it. That we see the state of the world and we mourn instead of becoming frustrated. It grieves our hearts. So what is your response to the world around you? You know, we get treated poorly by a neighbor or a work associate, and we begin to pray for them instead of plotting their ruin. What's our response? This is how we know if we've dealt with a sin wound in our life, is our reactions. Because we realize that we're living in a broken world with people who have not dealt with their original sin wound. I always tell people, like, I'm always surprised when somebody treats me well that doesn't know Jesus. Like, we should be more surprised by that, right? Our world is a result of people's displaced pain. Because pain that's not been transformed, it becomes transferred because pain has to nest somewhere. That's the truth we all need to understand this morning. And this collective pain, it deserves our tears and it needs God's healing. And it starts with us. It starts with you. So now I want to start there today. Let's start by asking the question, have you dealt with the pain in your life? When things don't go your way, how do you react? Because your reaction usually has a lot more to say about you than the person who's causing that reaction. I was thinking about this. My angers and irritations, they are first of all saying something about me because in the end, I know I am my own major problem. It's so true. We were uh, checking, I was thinking about, we were checking into the airport, so we we were in Morocco, and we're going to talk about Morocco during our our July missions weekend, so don't miss that. Had a great trip with our graduates, and so we're flying back. We flew from Casablanca to New York, had an, an overnight in New York, and we were taking off from sh- uh, New York the next morning to get to Chicago, and and we were trying to get checked in with our bags, and, and uh I had removed stickers I shouldn't have, you know, I could have just checked the bags. But so we're going through this process and it was like every line I went in, I, I won't tell you the airline cuz you know it's not a great experience, but we were in America and they are an airline. So <laughs> <laughs> It was like every line I went in though, they're like you can't be in this line, you should go over that line. <laughs> okay? That happened like 3 times. By the third time, I told Shelly, I'm like, what kind of customer service is this? <laughs> like, Don't tell me where I can't be. Like, Show me where I should go. And then they're, they're weighing our, our bags. And so they weigh the first one, like 47 pounds. And so the guy pulls it off, and I put the next one on, and it said like 70 pounds. But I have like a, a portable weigher, so I, I knew they were both under 50. And the guy's like, we got to pay overweight. And I look. He's like, he's still got the toe of the other one like on there. I was like, God. Like, can you take the other bag all the way off? And, like, we're good. You know? But I told Shelly, I walked away, and I said, you know what? Those irritations say a lot more about me. <laughs> we got to come to this realization. Our reactions reveal what's ultimately going on in our hearts. They do. So I'll actually tell you, like, the next morning, when I have those, those kind of moments, my, the priority of my abiding time the next morning is, Jesus, what was going on there? You know, what's going on in my heart? Are we willing to do that? If you know you have pain in your life, have you spent time alone with God, asking him to heal it? Let me say, that's not a one-time thing. It's something that needs to happen periodically as we follow Jesus. And I actually had this, I was thinking about, I had a time in January, I was, I was at home on a Monday and, and just trying to get some stuff done at the house and the kids were at school and Shelly was teaching. And, and man, in my abiding time, sometimes I get to kind of have longer times. And the Lord just came in, and he wrecked me that day. That's not in every day, but I will say it's good to have that periodically. So have you taken your pain to the Lord? If not, I'd encourage you to do that as we close today. Take it to Him. Because to become healthy and whole, we must deal with our sin, wound. we really do. And to become healthy and whole, we must learn five important life lessons. To become healthy and whole, we become that healthy and whole as we learn these important five lessons Earlier in our Better Together series, I actually shared these five life lessons over the course of a a couple of messages, but I felt like it was worth repeating here. They they come from Richard Rohr's book, Adam's Return, which is actually a book about male initiation and the importance of it. And, And Richard points out that there's five essential messages every person has to contend with for them to live healthy and whole lives. And here's those five lessons. Life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. And you are going to die. <laughs> Happy Father's Day! <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, please don't leave after this point. <laughs> like, you'll, you'll miss the joy of this message. <laughs> but here's the thing. And I will say this. Those, those are all scriptural truths. And, and so then how we handle these truths. Because these are, these are life truths. Since the fall of man, these have been the five life lessons man has been contending with. And as we handle these important scriptural truths, it determines the quality and meaning of your life. How we try to deal with these life lessons, it either sets us up for kingdom success or man made failure. It really does. So before we discover how Jesus responds to these five essential messages, I want to break each one down so that we can contend with them a bit this morning first. And the first is this, that life is hard. The first lesson we must learn is to not run from pain. That's the first thing we've got to learn. In fact, we shouldn't get rid of pain until we have first learned its lessons. The real point in pain is not one of an endurance contest, but it's a course in listening, waiting, and hoping. And when this is done well, it it leads to a deepening and clarifying of godly desires. So pain is an endurance contest. It's an opportunity to listen, to wait on the Lord, and hope for the resurrection outcome that he can bring. Handling pain this way, what it does is it educates the emotional life, our soul, which for whatever reason, we don't think needs education as much as the mind does. But it really does. Our soul needs an education, and pain is a good teacher. If we don't allow pain to be our teacher, one or possibly of all of the following things occur. So I want you to kind of evaluate yourself right now. Think about these five things in your life. If we don't process pain well, what happens? We will become inflexible, blaming, and petty as we grow older. We will need other people to hate in order to expel our inner negativity. We will play the victim in some form as a means of false power. We will spend much of our our life seeking security and status as a cover-up for a lack of substantial sense of self. Or we're going to pass on our deadness to our family, our children, and our friends. Those are the things that happen if we don't process pain well with the Lord. You see, the problem is we live in a society that tries to handle all suffering through willpower, denial, medication, and even therapy. And in so doing, we have forgotten something that should be obvious— we don't handle suffering, suffering handles us. And it does it in deep and meaningful ways that actually become an entry point for a resurrection life. Uh, it's amazing to me. I think about the cross or the crucifix. This is the central Christian logo. And it's rather obvious message one of resurrection from death. It's really aggressively disbelieved by most Christians. <laughs> We're clearly into ascent, achievement, and accumulation. That's usually what we go after, which means the cross is really just a mere totem, a piece of jewelry. But pain, because of our fallen nature, is what's required for us to release our grip on our small explanations and self-serving illusions for life. We can be confident. I want to share this with you some more. Here's the good news. We can be confident. Resurrection will always take care of itself whenever death is trusted. Jesus has resurrection power in you, a scripture says. And so resurrection can be trusted we can lean into the pain and know that God meets us there and he'll bring about resurrection so long as we're faithful to him. So let's, not, let's be careful to not manufacture our own resurrections in the middle of our pain. God can be trusted to lead us to the other side. He really can. And ultimately what God is doing in pain is he's removing our false selves, the ones that we've propped up. We've talked about this before. So that we can start to live according to our true selves who God has really made us to be. And our true selves, here's why you want to live as your true self, because our true selves are indestructible, characterized by inner abundance and joy. Our true selves are not needy, easily offended, or hurt. Our true self is characterized by contentment and abiding peace and happiness. Our true self knows all is okay, no matter what. So to help our true selves emerge, it seems our wounds are the only things humbling enough to break our attachment to our false self and strong enough to make us yearn for something more deep and true for whatever reason. But this also means that this hinges on this question in terms of how we live our lives is what are we going to do with our wounds? What are we going to do with them? Are we going to trust God for resurrection or not? My hope is we do. The next life lesson that we must contend with is we're not that important. We're not that important And we either learn this lesson through teaching like this, or if you study the teachings of Jesus, Jesus addresses this. Or what happens is if we don't learn it there, we have painful life situations that dismantle us brick by brick, decade by decade. So you're going to learn it one way or another. If you do an honest reading of what we call the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus knew he needed to destabilize a person's false self before they could understand they had a true self. But here's the problem, destabilizing our security systems and our egos, that's a hard sell. That doesn't fill stadiums, right? (laughs) And what you find in the teachings of Jesus is one who is both prophet and pastor, because prophets they deconstruct and pastors reconstruct. And Jesus does this in wonderful ways. The reason Jesus can tell us that we're not that important is because he also announces to us, us our infinite and unearned importance. That's why he can say that. And and so maybe the reason we struggle to live in the first truth, that we're not that important, is because we no longer believe the second, that you are of infinite worth. Maybe that's the struggle today. That we can no longer properly humiliate our small self because we no longer believe in the great self. We think our personality and our self-image is all we have. But Jesus says we are so much more. You are so much more. And so then what happens is is if we don't embrace this truth is we wind up crawling over one another, competing with one another to defiantly assert our private importance, which then becomes our only real possession. But Jesus in his teaching, he wants us to embrace the limits of our wisdom, the limits of our power, the limits of ourself, and to submit to being taught means accepting the greatness of the truth and our own smallness in relation to it instead of holding on to the illusion that we can somehow master truth. So here's what we most need to understand this morning as it relates to not being important. Lean into this truth. When we are not king, it is then the kingdom has the best chance of breaking through. That's when it happens. So we've got to get out of our own way. And when we do that, we can work through then the next life lesson, which is that our lives are not about us. Our lives aren't about us. The important spiritual question is not not that of the rich young man. Think about this. The rich young man comes and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's not the most important question. Pastor Jim actually covered that last week. The essential spiritual question is when God in effect asks Adam, who are you and whose are you? That's the important spiritual question. We, we like the first question because we think there's something we can do about it. It gives us control. We fear the second question because only God can answer it and his answer seems too good to be true. But may we live in that truth. I just don't think we trust God enough sometimes. Amen. The way that we can embrace the message that life is not about us is by understanding we're a part of a much bigger whole. God's whole. We are not the center of the universe. We're not even the center of our own universe. God is. or At least he's meant to be. And what we find after we've made this discovery is we can be grateful to be a part and only a part. We don't have to figure it all out, straighten it all out, or do things perfectly by ourselves. Praise God. We don't have to be God. What an enormous weight off our shoulders. All we have to do is participate. I love that with God. But I would say this participation is important because we cannot think ourselves into a new way of living. We must first live in a new way from a new vantage point and then our thinking changes by itself. We kind of get this wrong sometimes in our society. We want our thinking to change so that our lives will change, but what Jesus says is start living different and you'll start thinking different. That's his pattern. After all think about it, the invitation of Jesus was follow me. And that requires movement. Get moving in your life with Jesus and watch as your thinking begins to change. When Jesus sends the disciples out, as we find in Matthew 10 and and Luke 12, he sent them out on a a high-risk, outward-bound experience where new and good things could happen. But what I love about this is these experiences were designed to change the disciples just as much as they might change others. It was a both-and. Our lives are not about us. They're about God and about allowing uh, our lives to be done unto us. You ever think about that? Like God's prepared the good works. We just have to discover them and walk in them. And this is exactly what Mary prays. Think about what Mary prays at the birth of Jesus or before uh, while she's uh, waiting in expectancy for him to come and what Jesus prays at the end for Garnet Gethsemane. They pray about allowing God's life to be done unto them. That's a good prayer because our lives are not about us. And the fourth life lesson we must embrace is that we're not in control. We are not in control. And when we learn this lesson, we situate ourselves properly in the universe. There's a joy and a release in knowing that we are not the one steering the ship. That's a really joyful thing. Because if I'm steering the ship, we're going to run ashore. We want God steering the ship. But I will say, initially, this feels like a loss of power, a humiliation, or a stepping backward. But we must move through this process admitting that we're ultimately powerless before we can experience the true power of what it means to live in God's story empowered by Him. So it's good to be powerless so that God can empower us. It's important to remember that it's the Spirit that's guiding history and that the advancement of God's kingdom, it won't be stopped. All we can do is refuse to offer our cooperation or seek to turn back to the good old days. As if God were back there and not here. God is with us now in our present, and He's leading us toward His future because it's ultimately His. He is our constant, He is our absolute in this unsteady world in which we live. We are not a control, but God is. And either we believe in Him or we will fall for anything because our souls need and demand some central reference point, and if necessary, we'll create one to calm our restless imagination. If God is not the one, then the Dow Jones Index and our political parties will be. We will have a one. The question is, what will it be? Without an experience with the absolute, without a God encounter, we are all reeds shaking in the wind, Jesus says. But when we recognize we are an instrument and not the origin an aqueduct, and not the source, then we can be transformed by the one who's ultimately in control. So I actually thank God we're not in control. And then the final life lesson we must learn in order to live healthy and whole lives is we're going to die. Death in any form is the great human enemy. We do much to avoid it, delay it, and deny it. We do this because we're not ready to die until we've truly lived. That's why we sometimes fear it. What I have found is it is the people who have touched upon real life that are also the ones that are okay to let this life go. I've seen this around the world when I've interacted with our persecuted church. They've encountered life abundant in Jesus, and so they have no problem letting go of other things, even their own lives if necessary. I talked a bit about this in in the message on Jesus and death a couple of months ago, that we must live a fully alive life in order to be ready to die. And we live that fully alive life by growing in intimacy with others through the maturing of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That as we grow in love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, as all of those things grow, your relationships with others improve. They just do. So we grow in intimacy, and in so doing, we live a fully alive life, but we also grow in influence because of the Spirit and the gifts that He gives So I love that Jesus leads us in abundant living because he went, sent the Spirit, and the Spirit builds it in us. And so when you live that fully alive life, you can face death in a greater measure. Life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control, and you're going to die. But here's the thing. How we handle these life lessons, it determines whether or not we live a healthy and whole life because we know these things, and if we embrace these things in light of what Jesus has done and is doing, we can handle it. We can handle it. So I just encourage you, the next time you experience pain, instead of avoiding it, lean into it by spending time with God in prayer and song and in scripture, and allow him to transform the pain so you don't transfer it to others. If you're worried and anxious right now, spend time with God again through prayer and song and scripture and allow him to remind you he's in control. He's got it. And if you're concerned about death, ask God to develop the fruit of the Spirit and empower the gifts that he's given you so that you can live a fully alive life, the one that you're offered in Jesus, and then you don't have to fear death because we become healthy and whole by learning these important life lessons. The third point this morning is that men become healthy and whole by learning to live an integrated life. Men become healthy and whole, learning to live an integrated life. You know, considering today's Father's Day, there was, in some ways, I wanted to speak a couple of things directly to men this morning. And this one in regards to the shape of the male soul. I do think what we have seen in culture of late is, is people have become angry at false male power. And that it then makes them afraid of good power and the good passion of men. But we shouldn't necessarily just throw it all out. We just need to make sure we deal with that which isn't handled appropriately, right? Maleness is half of the mystery of God. And if we don't enjoy it, we're missing out on something that God called very good. When you do a study on the male soul, four main images emerge images of a warrior, a wise man, a lover, and a king. That's the shape of a male soul. These four images seem to naturally balance and regulate one another, and they help to make a man whole. And we can take a look at the life of Jesus and see that he lived an incredibly integrated life as a warrior, a wise man, a lover, and a king. He did those four things. If you're looking for it, you can read the Gospels and see how the lover balances the warrior, the wise man informs the king, and the king tempers the warrior. Jesus walks firmly on the high wire of male integrity. He is an incredible example for men today. So when was Jesus a warrior? When he was quoting the prophets, taking a stand against human suffering, battling evil, sickness, political, and religious oppression. When he was direct about his task and call and toughening himself alone in the desert. This is our warrior. He was a good warrior, revealed in his lack of a need for enemies and his willingness to forgive them. He knew how to defend himself and those who were defenseless, poor, handicapped, and marginalized. He did a great job of this. His ability to endure his death with dignity and freedom, it reveals a warrior of the highest degree. What about Jesus as a wise man? Jesus's teaching had enough authority to move people to leave everything and be willing to die for him. Jesus's frequent use of parables put Jesus in a category all of his own, Wise men rarely answer questions but prefer to lead people toward the answer, and Jesus only directly answers three of 183 questions he was asked in the Gospels. Jesus was a wise man. And Jesus, as a lover, is probably what we like and remember the most of him because it's what we desire most from God. Jesus is compassionate, forgiving, accepting, and nurturing. He's clearly connected to his heart and his emotions, and scripture speaks of a man of great empathy. His farewell discourse and footwashing at the last supper speak of a tender and sympathetic man. His surrender and forgiveness on the cross it stands as the deepest form of sacrificial love our world has ever seen. Jesus is a warrior, a wise man, a lover and a king. The main preaching theme of Jesus was about the kingdom of God, which makes sense considering the king is the one who holds the big picture together. The notice fixed on his cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was a title for him, but it was a title rejected by the Jews. But if we're honest, it was kind of a stand-in for all of us who reject his power over us. In the end, it's, it's hard for us to like the big kingdom if it gets in the way of our smaller kingdoms, and it always does. Yeah. And here's the thing about our king. When Jesus enters the room, people are healed. They're reconciled and demons flee. That's the power of a king. When the king comes, his house is safe and secure. Our wholeness comes from our connection to the king, which relieves any burden we might have of being a king ourselves. If we're connected to the king, we don't have to be that king. He can be that for us. So if Jesus was able to live an integrated life, the question is, how can we? How can we live like him? We can live an integrated, healthy, and whole life through God encounters. That's how. We become healthy and whole through God encounters. So if you've been a part of Connection Point Church for any length of time, Shelley mentioned that we talk about guaranteed encounters with God and and environments for those. That we find the overarching theme of Scripture is mission and the overarching promise is presence. The promise of scripture, what we have now is the opportunity to be in the presence of God. That's an amazing thing. And so what what we do here at Connection Point is we try to set up environments or opportunities for people to encounter the living God. That's what we want to do. Because we know as we encounter him, he's the one that ultimately enables us to live integrated, healthy, and whole. The Holy Spirit shapes us. Think about this. The Holy Spirit shapes us as a lover as we sing songs of worship and praise. Talk about that aspect of things. The Holy Spirit grows us as a wise man or woman as we spend time in God's word encountering him there. So he shapes us that way. The Holy Spirit forms us as warriors as we go out and pray for the sick. We prayer walk neighborhoods in need and proclaim his good news. And the Holy Spirit shapes us as kings and queens as we lay down our lives and serve one another in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit does wonderful things in the way that he can integrate our lives in the shape of our souls. We encounter God as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we fast, as we read scripture, share the gospel, as we suffer, as we live with others in community, we take communion, we serve others, and participate in water baptism. All of these ways we can encounter the living God. And it's through these encounters that God reshapes us. He integrates our lives and helps us become healthy and whole. And what I want us to be careful of in our setting is that we don't just go through the motions. That we just maybe read scripture five minutes a day. We say prayers, we're headed out the door. We simply sit with others on a Sunday morning. We don't even participate in the songs and other things happening. I don't want us to do that because what that can do is it can give us just enough of God to inoculate us against the real substance. We wind up substituting the rituals for the reality the container for the contents, the wineskin for the wine. Man, let that not be said of us. Let's go after God and encounter and be changed by him. Let's do that. So the question is, have you made daily and weekly encounters with God a priority in your life? Do you take time to abide daily to be changed by God? Have you made Sunday gatherings an important placeholder in your weekly calendar? If not, I'd encourage you, start to abide daily, read scripture, sing songs, and pray and then make a priority every week to gather so that we can have those encounters with God because we become healthy and whole through God Encounters. And we become healthy and whole by living in our new creation reality. From our passage this morning, the reason Jesus says, blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. The reason he says this is because the five life lessons we deal with today have been with us since the fall at the Garden of Eden. They have been dealt with by humanity across all time. But when Jesus came, he gave the answer for all of them. And so blessed are us who get to receive from Jesus the answer to these life lessons and live in them. Yes, it's true that life is hard, but then Jesus comes and proclaims, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Life might be hard, but Jesus has overcome the world. So long as we're yoked to him, we can find rest for our souls. And it is true that we're not that important But then Jesus proclaims, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When we know that our names are written on the eternal list, we can let go of all the other small lists. Who cares about the dean's list? I want to be on heaven's list. That's the difference. When we allow God to provide us with our true meaning, we need very little else. God declares us as important, which removes the need for us to declare this of ourselves or to hear it from others. If God says it, who else needs to? It doesn't matter. It's true that our lives are not about us because now Christ lives in us and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. He is our life. And when he is revealed, it says, we will be revealed in all of our glory with him. It doesn't matter that our life isn't about us. All of the truly great people I've ever met They're deeply convinced they're drawing from another source. They're simply an instrument. Great people don't need to concoct an identity for themselves. They merely try to discover, uncover, and enjoy the identity they already have in Christ. They just live in that. It is true we're not in control. But Jesus points out "And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. We know we can't control life and death. And Jesus helps us see we need not worry about the lesser things either. Instead, we can surrender to God and trust that we really are beloved sons and daughters, which allows God to be our good Father, the one who's ultimately in control. We want Him in control. And yes, it's true that we're going to die, but we can be certain of this neither death, nor life, nothing that exists, nothing still to come, not any power, not any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever come between us and the love of God. Amen. So what does it matter? We're going to die. We're not going to be separated from God. Amen. Yes, we're going to die, but we've already been given a kind of guarantee and promise now. Death isn't final. As Paul writes, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus answers these five messages that otherwise torment us and cause us concern and, and, and all these other things. But Jesus says, I'm the answer for all of these things. And that's what it means to live in our new creation reality in Jesus. One where he gives us rest. He writes our names in heaven. He provides us meaning in life. He sits crowned in ultimate authority and control, and he's the one who conquered death. He's the one who enables us to live healthy and whole lives from now into all of eternity. So have you yoked yourself to Jesus to find rest for your soul? Have you given up control to him in order to remove stress and worry from your life? Have you allowed him to speak of your significance, no longer concerned what others might think of you? My encouragement today is this, allow Jesus to initiate you into your new creation life and experience the health and wholeness only he can bring. Man, allow him to initiate you. Initiation requires guaranteed encounters with God. That's how you're initiated into the kingdom. So fathers, men, I implore you pursue health and wholeness that you're offered in jesus allow him to integrate your life as a warrior a wise man a lover and a king spend time with jesus through daily abiding and, and weekly worship and sabbath rest he wants to reshape you and deal with the wounds in your life i want to say you are vital in the kingdom of god men you are vital in the kingdom of god you are vital in your families you are vital in this church it is so important that you get this today and so i so desperately want all of us, to live up to our God-given potential. But it takes us spending time with King Jesus for this to happen. So make it a point this week and the weeks to come to do just that. I was thinking about this message. This isn't in my message, which always becomes dangerous then. (laughs) But I was really reflecting on the fact that I opened with the lack of, of older bull elephants and the reaction of those younger bull elephants and I was thinking about the fact that, you know, we, at Connection Point Church, we recognize that we live in a community where half our population is between the ages of 18 and 24. So we've been very intentional to, to ask Lickner and Suzanne Sloan to serve as young adult pastors and make a difference there. Because I feel like it's irresponsible of us to live in this community and not be intentional with young adults. So we've been very intentional there. But at the same time, what I want to be careful of is that in no way makes other generations feel like they are somehow less important. Because I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie of the enemy. That's never been spoken here, that's never been in a meeting. So if that's in some way that what you've heard, I'm telling you, you've heard wrong today. If this message is anything, it's to say elders are incredibly important. And we're missing them today. I want to tell you, those in advanced in years that are a part of Connection Point Church, you should be in our kids' classes, pouring into the lives of a younger generation. You should be greeting the young adults as they come in the door, sitting around the table in our young adult environments. You are vital in this congregation. So if you have yet to engage and you are advanced in years, man, can I encourage you, dive in. Our younger generations desperately need your influence in their lives. Desperately. They need your spiritual maturity. Our younger generations need spiritual fathers and mothers pouring into their lives. So if I can encourage you this morning, please, please, please hear me on this. Dive in. You are so important here and you need to find your place at Connection Point Church. This is, this is really a message about eldership today as we really look at it because there's so much that's gone wrong in our culture because we have valued youth over maturity and that needs to turn around. So Lord, help us in that. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. Before we close in song, maybe you're here today and you realize the reason you're not healthy and whole that you've got wounds in your life is because you've never dealt with the sin wound in your life. And can I tell you, you can't do that on your own? Again, going back to the question, the question you don't need to be asking is, what can I do to gain eternal life? The main question you need to answer is, who are you and whose are you? Who are you? Whose are you? If you can't answer, I'm a child of God, you need to change that this morning. Because it's only your encounters with him that he can reshape. He's the only one that can fill that hole that you've been born with. You may have had a physical birth, but you need a spiritual rebirth. And I want you to have that now. Don't walk away from here without that opportunity today, without experiencing that. So if every head had bowed in this room, who here today would say, that's me, I've got that that God-shaped hole. I, I, I've not made that decision. I've not gone to Jesus for him to heal my wound. But today you'd say, I want to make that different. I want Jesus to heal the wound I've got. If that's you today, I just want to invite you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave. So who here today would say, that's me? I, I've got a wound, I need God to heal. Who here today would say, that's me today, that's me. Be up in the balcony. Be on our main floor. Be on our online campus. We've got people there too. I'm going to close in prayer, but as I do that, I'd actually like to ask our prayer team, if they wouldn't mind, to come back up this morning. Go go on the side wings, and if you want an opportunity for prayer, that you need, you've got pain that you're dealing with in your life that you've not allowed God to transform, and maybe you even recognize I've actually transferred it to my kids, you know, I've I've transferred it to coworkers. But today you want to say, I want Jesus to heal my pain. Can I tell you this morning? God can heal it in a moment. He can do it. He wants to do it. So I'm going to close in prayer and the, and the music team's going to come and we're going to close in song. And as you close in song this morning, I just invite you to come forward and receive prayer today. Receive prayer. And I would say if our prayer teams get full and you're part of the prayer team or a pastor in the room or something else, feel free to just jump up here in the front and we'll pray for people this morning as we close. Jesus, we just thank you that you invite us into this fully alive life one of intimacy and influence so that we don't have to fear anything else in life. I love, Jesus, that you speak over us. Our name's written on the most important list for all of humankind. Our name's written in heaven. God, all of these life lessons that we might struggle with, you have provided the answers for. So, Jesus, I pray that you initiate all of us into your kingdom and answer these life questions. Lord, I pray that nobody walks out of here with pain. Lord, as we close in in song, I pray, Jesus, that people come out of their seats, understanding that they're in a room that fully supports them, that celebrates them and wants to see them whole. So they don't need to be embarrassed stepping out, but they can come right down and be prayed for. People ready to pray that healing might be found. And Jesus, I pray for those that maybe raised their hands and maybe I didn't see those this morning. I pray, Jesus, that they also come forward. That they talk to that prayer person and say, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus. I need him to heal this sin wound of my life. I just pray, Jesus, that we respond to you today, the work of your spirit in our life. Lord, may we respond to your word today and be changed. Lord, we trust you for that work. In Jesus' name we pray.